Postcards from a Dying World, the podcast. For more than a decade, I've reviewed over 1,000 books that are mostly science fiction, horror, and bizarro. This feed will feature bonus audio I have produced over the years, as well as a monthly digest of reviews based on what I've read each month, plus the occasional bonus material about my own fiction. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to Postcards from a Dying World. Uh, we are back to talk about Star Trek. Another series finale has been uh, aired on Paramount+. Plus, So we're going to talk about Picard Season 2. And uh, joining me is my usual cast of regulars, uh, my bridge crew, as it were, uh, for talking Star Trek. Isa and Sarah, welcome back to the podcast. Um, I've introduced you guys a bunch of times now, so I'm going to assume that people know you. And uh, at this point, uh, you know, it's Picard season two, and I kind of want to talk about the last time I hung out with Isa or what's going on with Sarah, but I guess we'll get into Picard season two because I've locked myself into doing Star Trek season recaps and uh you guys i think sarah's gonna have to work a little overtime to be the positivity here because um all right well we let's get into it picard season two <laughs> come on now um i was really excited about this and i even went back and rewatched picard season one leading up to it coming out and i you know really enjoyed watching Picard season one again. Okay. So if anything, I, I got out of this. Um, the good thing is, is I can compare and contrast some of the things that I thought were really cool. And that I really liked about Picard season one that I even liked it better the second time, even though again, the finale wasn't quite as good as the buildup, whatever. But, um, but yeah, Picard season two, let's get into it. Um, just overall first thoughts, starting with Sarah, uh, balance me out here. Uh, how did you feel about Picard season two overall before we get into it nitty gritty? The thing that I keep seeing is that people don't haven't asked the question, what is the goal of Patrick Stewart for this show? And that's really all that matters here. Um, you know, and has he achieved that goal or not? And it's interesting. I'm interested in, in like, what is it about Star Trek that he's interested in? What is, what is it about Star Trek that Patrick Stewart is interested in? Patrick Stewart, who has said he's not a huge fan of science fiction. Um, <laughs> you know, like it's, and it's, that's, that's fascinating to me, right? And so I think that it's very clear that what this show is about for him is what this character means in his life and what kind, what the relationships in Picard's life were most important to him and most um, impactful on his life. And so season one is about his relationship with Data. Um, season one and two are about his legacy with the Borg. Um, season two is about his relationship with his mother, which was a wonderful gift because we never had that backstory. Um, we never had anything like that. Um, we, you know, Picard rarely mentioned his parents at all in all of TNG. And uh, it's about his relationship with Guinan. Um, and so to me, it's like the, the only question that matters is 
is he succeeding at the Picard show that he's trying to make? And to me, the answer was yes in season one, and it's yes in season two. Isa. That is an interesting take. I hadn't exactly thought about it in those terms. I want to say that uh, I picture, when I watch, when I, Picard season two especially, I picture the writer's room and try to like imagine what went on in this room. (laughs) And what I've come away with, and and I'm going to, I want to start with the caveat that season three, which apparently was filmed uh, at the same time or has already been Currently, yeah, or right after, right after. Okay. Uh, they might be thinking in terms of like a, a full arc between season two and three and season two won't make sense until you watch season three. And I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt on some of that. But clearly in this writer's room, someone, I don't know who, but someone was like, let's do a plot where the Borg attack and then they go back in time and then Gerardi becomes uh, part of the Borg collective and the Borg collective completely changes. That sounds awesome. Yeah, let's do that. Someone else was like, hey, let's do a plot where uh, we explore Picard's relationship with his parents uh, and go back in time and give him a love story out of nowhere um, that we can work with. And I won't even say that that's a bad plot. I'll, I'll, whatever. I, that was my least favorite of all of it, but let's, let's put that aside. And then someone else was like, let's do the time travel, normal, you know, fun, cliche time travel stuff. And let's have Rio stay behind and do all these cliche time travel things. And, and uh, I think all of those things cannot exist in the same season. And yet somehow, oh, wait, and there's more. And let's have Wesley Crusher become a traveler. And, and, and Q. Uh, you know, and ha- I totally forgot about that plot. You know, let's have data. Let's have Soong, the data, the Soong ancestor build a, a person who then becomes a traveler. Like this, again, maybe not a bad plot, but you can't have all of those plots together in the same season in a super incoherent way. Like by the end, I was like, oh, oh, and also I forgot the main one, Q is dying and has some personal stuff with Picard to work out. Also not a bad plot in itself, but now we have like, you know, five or six or however many different <laughs> plots. And it was just like, everything got greenlit. You know, I feel like it was, so my, my final thought is that it was rushed and that if they'd spent a little more time thinking about what the season should be, they would have, pruned some of those ideas or combined them in a more coherent fashion. That being said, I just want to say that you could put those characters on the screen doing anything and I would still enjoy it on some level. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Now. Okay. Uh, what is it? Why do you, why do you believe that, that those sort of disparate plot elements did not ultimately work together? Because I'll, I'll take one example. Okay. So the, the love interest, right? Picard has this character that he obviously meshes really well with. And actually the last scene with them together is one of the few things that bothered me this season because it was it was so like passionless. Like either you're going to, to you know, he just spent the whole season learning that, you know, his mother's death is not his fault and to love, to let himself be loved as at the end and of his life. And we spent when... the whole season seeing that same like three minute flashback over and over and over and over. And I found that to be one of the most annoying things in the show, but please continue. Okay. Sorry. Well, no, <laughs> I, I was just wondering like, what, what, what is it about? Cause like that, that romance aspect, right? And it it's believable that, that, to me that Q cares enough about this man that he's aware of everything in his life 
and that he sees Picard as, and to me, it sort of addressed a big issue in, in TNG where in TNG, Picard was sort of skittish about romance and always putting duty first. And, you know, he would have his little dalliances on alien planets, but then he would leave them there or we would just never hear about her again. Um, and he had romances, but he didn't have somebody in his life to really take care of him. And the biggest one that we had was Beverly, who we haven't seen at all in either season, which is like kind of weird given the, the season finale of TNG and how you know they were supposed to get married at some point and then divorced. But side issue, point is the thing with Q ties directly to the thing with the romance. And I think you can say the same. You can sort of draw these like lists, make a list of all the things that you that you that you said are don't mesh together. And you can draw lines to where they do fit together to me. So I was just curious, what is it? Well, you, you can't fit together. You can do that. But the pro I mean, you can actually connect them. But the problem is, is I think and I agree with Isa. I'm with Isa here that there was just too much and then here's the thing is i think there was a four episode arc here that could have been perfect but also we had these 38 minute episodes in the middle of the season that were just you know like oh this is the heist episode that you know they were just stretching out the things in the middle and what i think is i agree with you emotionally on Sarah, that there was a good story there for Picard, but the problem is, is I think they took four episodes and stretched them into ten. In my well, opinion, hold on, I, I I agree that there was definitely a heist episode, or whatever, but I don't, I didn't mind that so much. To answer your question specifically, Sarah, maybe um maybe I wasn't, I, I'm, I have trouble with week by week shows because I have trouble remembering what happened the previous week and keeping track of everything. But tell me if I have this correctly, right? So. Picard had the formula, former Romulan spy woman and her husband, Laris, who were, who were like his housekeepers or whatever at the beginning of season one. Then he went off to do stuff and they stayed behind never to be heard from again. Then we find out in season two that, that the husband has died and Picard and Laris are in love, but he can't say anything because he's got emotional trauma of preventing him from professing his love. And then we go back in time and we meet a Romulan who looks exactly like Laris and somehow Picard falls for her, but then she has to die for no real reason that made sense with the plot. And that's our love story. I got zero out of that. Like that, that just, am I, did I miss some key point there or is that what happened? I think that he didn't fall in love with, with second Laris. I think that he was reminded Talon. of Her name was love. Talon. But yeah. I think that I think that she was put there by Q. First of all, I I, okay. I think that, that that was all part of Q's plan from the very beginning, which is why they spent so much time with when Picard went to meet Guinan about to talk about his love life. I was like, really? This is why they brought Wolfie here. I hope she does something else more interesting later in the season. But when you think about it, they spent a lot of time in that first second episode, you know, where setting this up where Picard was talking to Guinan about this problem that he has. And so I saw somebody on, on the socials say, well, obviously, you know, she was put there by, by Q and she's either an ancestor, a legitimate ancestor of this Romulan woman, or she is a total invention put there by Q 
to mess with Picard because Picard loves Laris. Okay, so, fair, fair enough. At least that's a that's what I read, and well, it made sense to me. Okay, I mean that you know I again I don't think that was terrible, but I think if they'd spent a little more time of it on it, someone would have said, you know what, instead of introducing this like Talon past Laris, whatever we should just have Guinan be the watcher who's assigned to Renee Picard, if we're going to stick with all the other plot. Like, make Guinan, who is already a character that we care about and was interesting, a part of, make her the watcher. Keep everything else the same and you could just get rid of this whole, you could take out the whole Talon clone, whatever plot, and it would have been better. Now, the thing- I think that makes Guinan though, like Guinan has always been independent. Like she's not going to work for Earth. Her, her existence is not to save speci- the, the, the timeline of Earth. Like her people are on their own path, you know? And so yeah, I she feel can't like be a Gary weird. Seven supervisor. She, uh, no. right, well, fair enough. That whole, I'm just saying they, in terms of like who did what in the, you know, they needed some excuse to have some alien tech in the past to help with their whole thing. And so instead of using Guinan, they then found the Watcher who filled that role. And I'm just they saying- They could have used a, a Vulcan because that would have also fit in the timeline of, because they have Vulcan Watchers there anyway. Right, and the, the FBI uh, X-Files guy could have, uh, you know, could have met the we'll, we'll come back to him because he was, he was <laughs> kind of a weird problem. But see, part of my issue with this is that there's a lot of shows that are being produced during the pandemic and you can't tell that they're like there's no signs that it's being made during the pandemic if you just watch the show but i think this one you saw a lot of the production like you saw a lot of the production issues on the screen and you saw a lot of choices being made that were more reflection like to the casting brent spiner is just like we want to work with brent spiner so we're going to cast this guy as the 13th soon that looks exactly like the other 13 soons, just because we want to cast Brett Spiner. Right. And, you know, the daughter that he designs is, it looks exactly the same as Soji. So we have something to do for this actor that doesn't really fit into the plot. And you just had a lot of, for me, one of my problems with the season is you have a lot of round pegs being put into square holes. And, I can live with one or two, but 13 of these choices got a little much. And, and, and I, like, oh, no, Sarah, now I let you be positive for a while, but I got to be negative for a bit. Okay. <laughs> because I have great respect for Alex Kurtzman and Akiva Goldsman and all the people that are working on this. But I think they were doing a lot to try and keep Patrick Stewart happy to do this. I, I understand that. And, Look, he talked in the lead up to Picard season one, a lot of his interviews, he talked about the abuse that his mother went through with his father. And so it was clear that they went, aha, we can give Jean-Luc that same issue. And it would explain, you know, why it took him so long to relate to his crew and to go to the poker game at the end. It would explain a lot. So I thought that was smart. I thought that was a smart decision. And that, but again, you could do that in four episodes. Then the whole thing with Q, and we'll get back to this later, but I thought the ending for Q was fantastic. I loved that the 
the hug between Jean-Luc and Q at the end and Q basically saying even gods have a favorite and like just the idea that he's admitting to Jean-Luc I just I like you that's why I fucked with you all these years right was cool and I've got sirens and everything it's like the world's ending here in San Diego sorry <laughs> um but uh Anyways, I liked those Q aspects, and I understand why they did the storyline with the abuse, and that was fine. But I agree with Issa. You have all these different desperate issues. You had to figure out a way to, to you know, I thought the Gerardi storyline with the Borg Queen was actually pretty good. I could I could handle that one. But the the whole Adam Soong, the, the Soong thing and Brent Spiner and... And and Issa, what's her? I don't know her last name. That that plays Soji, and like that whole storyline to me was awful. Was stupid. Well, it was it besides the point. It, was, it wasn't that it was bad. It was just that you could remove it, and the show would be the same. You know what yeah, I mean? And it's one like, of the most useless scenes that had me laughing. The fu- the worst scene of the whole season was the drones in the last episode. So, like, we got to give a MacGruber moment to totally. Seven of Nine and Rafi and Rios. You know, and the whole time I'm just thinking, three minutes, MacGruber. You know, it was it was terrible. It was awful. And it was useless. They just didn't have anything for them to do. And that's the square pegs, round holes. And I'm not saying it's easy because it's a tough job for a writer. You know, like, I got to find out... A position for everybody. Okay, go. I talked for a long time. Go, Sarah. I, the thing is, with Zoom, I just assumed, and this may not be where they're going with it at all, and I could be wrong, but I assumed that 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 Zoom was the first, and that he has been cloning himself ever since. Um, and that so say he has it. been... They didn't say well, that. They just said he was a descendant. Well, they didn't, but it's possible that they might revisit this in, in, in the next season. I feel like with the they, con project. Like, I feel teacher. like they they are leading up to something else with this character. And I think it makes sense to kind of introduce him in the past if that's what they are going to do. And Picard is weird because, you know, Discovery will often end on a cliffhanger where something will be semi-resolved, but not really. Or, you know, when they launched themselves into the future, that was a big cliffhanger. We had no idea what they were going to do when they got to 900 years in the future or whatever. Um, and Picard, they tend to be like self-contained seasons where what happened in season one and what happened in season two are not super meshed well together. Um, and I don't think they're supposed to be, but I think that we, what we might see, what I'm hoping we might see is that season three is tying events from season one and two together in a really satisfying way. Because one thing I will say about this show is that because it's kind of about addressing and wrapping up Picard's most important friendships and most important relationships, Data, Q, Guinan. They like wrapping things up. They like Picard or Stewart himself likes, you know, tying things up and, and explaining things. So I, I don't know whether, but that was what immediately came to mind when they used the same actor is, you know, they're not saying, oh, this guy, you know, happens to look like exactly like like future soon and not only that has the exact same skill set i thought they were trying to set us up and say you know this man started cloning himself at some point especially because what he's doing is super advanced 
for where he is in this in this time frame compared to where he will be or his ancestor will be or whatever when data comes around. And and I'm not totally anti that. And I think that that's something that season three could improve on or make better. And in a lot of ways, if you know this, the soon storyline from Enterprise, it makes it a little bit more, more coherent. But if you, you know, and that's why the Project Con thing was really important that that little envelope, I can't remember who found it. I think it was, you know, but there was a scene where they showed an envelope that said Project Con in there. And, and I think that's yeah. kind of important and, and, and it's good. And, and I, yeah, I'm fine. I, I can live with that. He but... has the ego for it. I mean, the char- they made him this really egotistical character and you can totally see him d- refusing to die and wanting to clone himself in perpetuity. Yeah. Okay. So um, I want to get into um, a little episode by episode a little bit not i'm not going to do each one because it, it is one continuous story but i thought the first two episodes when we were in when we were in this other future i i thought the stargazer scene i was really excited to see the stargazer i was excited to see rios the captain of the stargazer that was cool i liked all the starfleet academy stuff um i thought that was good I thought he jumped to auto destruct a little fast um, in in uh, in that situation, but we had things to do, we had places to go, so um, and we had to well, set we, up. Can we unravel that a little bit? Like, I feel like this was either I'm super misunderstanding something, or it was just like big plot hole, lazy writing stuff, or whatever. Like, following the time travel of the whole thing, so. The unknown, unbeknownst to us, Gerardi shows up on the Enterprise and starts, or whatever. Stargazer. Stargazer, sorry. And starts taking over the whole fleet, right? Like, why didn't, if that if that was Gerardi and all that stuff had already happened, why did that happen? Can someone explain that? That is the biggest plot hole of the season. And, I, and I'm interested to see if Sarah can explain this away because... If she sends a message saying, I want to talk to Picard, why can't she right. send a message and say, I'm friendly, you know? Well, I didn't get that. I yeah. thought I must be missing something and just forgotten something, but it just seemed like a really... No, it's a big plot hole because, you know, now you could say she she had, she had knew... The only thing you could possibly say is that she knew that the timeline had to work out this particular way, but that would be interesting if she made the choice to stay Borgified because basically she got turned into a Borg and she must be okay with it because she could change the timeline at, at that point. Right. And prevent that from happening to herself or warn herself. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't understand that. So like I would, I was assuming there was some explanation where like the changes hadn't propagated through time years, but I got, there was nothing. So it was just, it yeah. just made no sense. Now, for me, the whole season, I, just one thing real quick, Sarah. One, th- yeah. I think the whole season would have worked better for me if Picard thought it was real, but it was all like a Q tapestry thing. And that in those last moments, Q revealed to him that no one else will remember this. No one else was there. It was just you and me. And I had to make you believe all this was happening. So, like, I had to have... But the thing is, is we had scenes that took place outside of his point of view, and they also wanted to leave Rios in the past because he got a different show 
this is again the production reality happened i didn't know that was what yeah happened. he's on the flight attendant and that's why you know he didn't want to give him a chance to to be continually on that show for one more season of picard so you know that's then again the realities you know changing the storyline i thought that was a really wonderful though way of of sort of subverting our expectations about time travel romance because it usually ends in you know the um oh god what's what's the one where kirk falls in love with the woman and in the the famous one city on the edge of forever thank you um you know where it's like heartbreak and it's like oh well you know we can't be together for various reasons i mean city on the edge of forever always drove me crazy anyway because if she has to die why can't you just team her to the ship and she becomes a missing person. It's the same thing. You're still removing her from the timeline. Anyway, um, <laughs> but I thought it was really wonderful that, you know, if whether it was because the actor needed another project or what, that they decided that they were going to not do the thing that always happens in time travel romance and do, you know, pull a Star Trek four. I mean, this season was full of references to Star Trek four. And I love that. I ate that right on up. And, you know, for him to also have... Oh, we'll talk about for... Kirk that, uh, Thatcher, the uh, guy on the bus, in a little bit. But we'll get to him. Well, and then, and then Rios' line where he was like, no, I'm from... I only work in space. I'm from Columbia. Iowa. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm from Columbia. I only work in space. Yeah. No, no, that, that was good. And, and we'll Isn't get it to Chile? That. I think it's Chile, right? Isn't he from Chile? Yeah, something like that. That's why I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. You might be right. I, I, sorry to confuse south, it's also south american countries they are uh <laughs> they are very different um okay so no and, and i'm not totally opposed to that i i did his storyline was interesting um my problem with it was and i just i didn't find out about this till after i didn't find out about him being on another show until after the season was over thankfully is that I just really liked Rios as a character and I really wanted to, and I was really hoping that they would, that we would get a spinoff Stargazer Captain Rios show would be great. But um, I think, you know, we're more likely to get a Captain Seven show. Um, But regardless, like his storyline was okay. It was fine, whatever. But, um, and I do, I, I agree with you that that's, cool to subvert that that you could have a happy ending well i i just think it totally so you know move time travel movies have rules right and marvel sort of did the whole like we're changing the rules you anything you can do anything you want in the past and it doesn't change the future because it is your future or whatever and that was fine that worked for marvel but star trek hasn't they haven't said where they are but you can't just leave someone in the past and not change the timeline like that shouldn't be possible right like that that seems that seems weird like he and especially then they even made it worse by Guinan talking about like his life and like all these things he did like how did that not change the timeline so well it did they're they're suggesting that it did and i think the suggestion is wonderful which is yes there there are going to be some changes that we make and they could be good things you know that that time i mean they had a couple of uh where Guinan i think made a couple of speeches about how time you know, some one of the characters made the same observation. They're like, what about all these butterflies we're leaving behind? And somebody said something along the lines of, you're thinking of time in way too much of a linear way. And, you know, it's okay if we make some minor changes. And yes, 
part of that is that you never know the unexpected consequences of changing the timeline. Something that you think is very small, that's the whole reason they call it the butterfly effect, you know, it could end up having enormous ramifications. But I think that Star Trek has always done that. So I don't think it's fair to uniquely, like, you know, we, they didn't, they, they were totally like, okay, we're taking, we're taking uh, Dr. Jillian Taylor with us to Star Trek four and she becomes a missing person. And in theory, you would think that that might have ramifications in 1986 timeline, sure. but they went with it. It was always meant so to go missing. Because Star Trek has yeah. always yeah. been like this. I don't, I don't okay, remember judge don't, this don't show in particular. Fair enough. Fair enough. No, and I know a lot of people, a lot of people were upset about uh, the FBI agent who was kind of, because uh, that character, the guy who played him, what played a officer on Voyager, um, and a lot of people just assumed, oh wait, he's going to reveal himself to be one of the temporal agents, mm-hmm. you know. And I do think they missed an opportunity there. That could have been, that would have made a little bit more sense than I think that storyline. I mean, Earth was just a hotbed for like uh, inner inner whatever activity, I guess. Apparently, you know. It, instead of like the the Vulcan storyline, I think if he had been a temporal agent who used to work on Voyager or whatever, I personally think that would have been a little bit more interesting than the UFO Vulcans. But um, you know, whatever. That's neither here nor there. That's not a big deal. But so, what did you guys think of? Um, the uh the totalitarian future episodes at the beginning because i actually liked those i thought was it more than one episode or was it just the one i thought it was just the one i don't remember to be honest the end of one through the beginning of three Uh, okay they went Um, back in time my, my personal feeling is it was fine it was like your typical mirror universe episode you kind of didn't feel like there was anything in there you hadn't seen before but it was it was fine. Like I didn't, I wouldn't. That was not my problem with the season. I'll say that. Oh, dude, I will say I love the scene with Q and the, all the skulls and Picard and Chateau Picard. Yeah, that was cool. And we saw Galdicott's skull and all that, and um, that that was a. I thought that was a great scene. That was just fun Easter egg, nerdy Star Trek, and yeah. Oh, yeah. and you have to remember that, you know, I really do think that when Picard, when they were trying, they were courting Picard to try to do this, I think Picard, you know, said, only if we do it my way. And I think yeah. his way was, I want to say fuck Trump whenever possible. I want to <laughs> say fuck the police whenever possible. And I want to make this about, you know, the relationships that are most important to Picard in terms of who he is and, and why. Oh, you mean Patrick Stewart making the decision Yeah, because himself. he yeah. has been interviewed and he talks about how, you know, when he finished TNG, he felt like he did not know where he ended and Picard began because the character is so similar to who he is. And as fans, we have had the pleasure of, you know, following the sort of Patrick Stewart fandom and Patrick Stewart is a little more playful than Picard, for sure. Like, you know, there's, there's a way more personality there. But for the most part, they feel like the same guy. I mean, they get upset about the same shit. They give impassioned speeches about justice. I mean, when I went to see Patrick Stewart do the one-man uh, uh, Christmas carol, right before the Christmas right before the pandemic, in this nice, tiny venue, he gave a full speech about what was happening in Brexit. And I thought... I'm watching Captain Picard get upset about Brexit. 
I'm watching Patrick Picard get upset about Trump and it was wonderful. But Sarah, you, you know, know they're not the same that. people in real life, right? You know, the Whereas, well, no, but that's what I'm saying. With, they're with blurring Kirk, the lines example, though. No, Kirk I know. is so different from Shatner. Like one of my favorite tweets is like in real life, Kirk would beat Shatner up in an Applebee's parking lot. And I love that. Like this is the funniest thing I've ever read about the differences between Kirk and 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 uh, and Shatner. Yeah, well, I, I I would say that they are blurring the lines, and they were writing this to make him happy, and and doing this storyline with the mother was 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 a big thing. Because um, Stewart also had an abused mom. Exactly. I don't and think that she was... killed herself, but she definitely was abused by her 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 husband. And he talked about it a lot in the interviews for season one of Picard. They just, there was an issue he was bringing up. And I think that's one of the reasons why they wrote this season to be about those issues. I think, you know, that they knew that they would be passionate for, for Patrick Stewart. Um, and, and that I, I just, sense. I feel like my biggest complaint about the episodes or the, the season was that and I already said this, but I'll try to say it more clearly. The the flashback story that they slowly revealed about how his mother died was so poorly executed. Like I can't even like I can't stress enough. Like it was like the same thing over and over and over, way past the point where you already knew what was going to happen, right? Like we all knew what was going to happen in the like, you know, movies do this flashback thing where you know it's a common thing or tv shows do it it's a common thing you just can't reveal it so slowly it has to be more mysterious in the reveal or it just falls flat because in the first the first time you see it you kind of figure out oh she's gonna end up dead in that room or well and, and not to nitpick um but he had a brother and his brother if, if that brother if that episode family hadn't been such a great and such an important episode of tng I would forgive not including his brother and, but not including his brother seemed like a mistake for me. Like, why couldn't they just cast somebody else? That seemed like a pandemic. Like we just don't need to bring another actor and put them on the set kind of thing. And cause they did mention that, um, like one of the reasons why they wrote storylines for seven and Rafi to be somewhere else and Rios to be somewhere was to cut down the amount of, interaction between the actors that they gave them different storylines that that was specifically so they wouldn't have to be on set intermingling like a ton and um because jerry ryan talked about that and and i think that started to become a little obvious that they were shoehorning that or they were doing it on purpose and i i don't know but I mean, I loved Gaius Baltar as as. I, I also uh, did not like that choice as captain. Like that, I liked that, Gaius Baltar as his. Um, I know it's James Callis is his real name, but he's Gaius Baltar to me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> as as Picard's father, I thought was kind of cool, but I think it for me as a longtime TNG fan, I just I felt the absence. I was like, "Where's his brother? Like, why couldn't he?" and his brother be like hiding together from the abuse or something, just bring him in there because he was such and an his, important person. His, I mean, his brother older than His him? brother was older. And isn't his brother's name also Renee, which would have been a nice touch to have. Him in. No, his, his uh, nephew was Renee, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Someone was named be- Renee. 
Well, because it feels like to me, it's just like, well, if his brother is is even 10 years older, his brother's off to college right now. And right. so his brother is off, like there's no reason to have him at this chateau. But in defense of the way that they constantly replayed that, I think they were trying to give a more, um, those scenes were not for us directly as exposition, where like, this is what happened to his mother. Those scenes were meant to convey what trauma Trauma makes a person relive over and over and over again, the same small details, the same small bits and pieces of information. And I thought, you know, as somebody who has CPTSD, that was a really wonderful way of, of unveiling that um, and discussing that. Like it, it wasn't like these scenes were not for the audience's comfort. These scenes were to explain how this haunts Picard in a very literal sense that he is afraid of these memories and he is, you know, has been haunted by them his entire life, which I think is very realistic. And, and well, they did bring I, up, I, and they I, did have, they did have Picard bring up the fact that he is the last Picard because it was in generations where he, you know, his his whole he goes to Guinan and he's super sad because his brother and his nephew and the family all died in a fire, right? And yeah, and that whole storyline in that movie is when he realizes he's the last Picard in, in that movie. So I thought that was a nice callback and, and it was good. So we've touched on the brother before and it was funny because when, when they said one Renee has to die for the other, mm -hmm. the other to live, I thought they was like, I thought they were telling him like, Oh, your nephew has to die. That's part of the storyline or something. I was overthinking that. <laughs> I didn't yeah, realize. I, I actually thought that was going to end up with them bringing Renee Picard to the future, and they would people would think she died or something. I didn't know. That was my idea. But but yeah. back to the the flashback thing. So I feel like I, I'm totally drawing a blank. But there are have been like a hundred movies and TV shows that have used this this uh, technique where you have like this like maybe one or two minutes of footage flashback, and you show a little more of it each time until you finally get. To, to the point in the story where you big, do the big reveal of what, what ended up happening in the whole clip. And I feel like they violated the rules of how you do that and pace it out properly because you're, you, I just knew instantly what was going to happen. Like the first time they showed it. And then I had to watch it like 400 more times. It felt like, so that, that really stuck out to me as something poorly executed. Well, and another feeling that I had watching this season that I I fucking hate to admit this. I really hate to admit that I felt this because throughout this new Star Trek era, it has drove, driven me insane when when man baby fans are like, this is not my Star Trek. This doesn't feel like Star Trek. But when they were in Los Angeles for like, seemed like a thousand episodes in a row, I was like, I need a starship. I need space. I need to get out of LA. I am really, because the thing is, during this season, I went to LA and I had lunch with Issa, but I was in LA during this time and I felt you like I, that anywhere. <laughs> I could get on a train and do this without, you know, so it didn't feel special to me at all. After a while, like, yes, it's funny in Voyage Home when they, go to San Francisco and they do that, but it's two hours and we're in and I'm out. But after a couple of weeks of like, it just didn't feel like Star Trek to me anymore. And then I started to think like when I'd see scenes with seven and Raffi in a parking lot in LA and I'm just like, dude, they literally just got into Uber and went home. 
the actors after doing this. It's like I had no feeling that they were in space. And, you know, I couldn't you might be overthinking that a little. I mean, I, I know, I, I know. And that's me because I went to LA during this time, you know, and shout out to, to Issa for, for taking me to Sage. That was a great restaurant. I really it was, restaurant. was awesome. But, you know, my, my point is, is that I did the same trip. So like, it was just yeah. weird to me. Well, like, I, I think, I think part of that is, I mean, I definitely miss the being on a ship and hearing the noise, you know, like that's one of like the comforting things of watching Star Trek is hearing <laughs> the space whoosh noise, you know, um, but and the beeping I, on the bridge and yeah, exactly. You know, I, I didn't mind that. I, you know, it's really hard. Cause I feel like there were a lot of like little, little things that, and it's so hard to, no, I didn't really mind most of those things. Like I didn't mind they were in LA. The, a lot of it was very just contrived feeling um like they definitely like you said they drew it out like they definitely could have had it go shorter like it just wasn't the most compelling storyline that like q as her psychology as renee picard's psychologist is subtly trying to convince her not to go on this trip and if she goes or doesn't go the the you know the world will be saved or not saved that just was not a very compelling plot to you know and then like like soon running over picard it was just it was all very like we are we have a starship in crashed in france but we're doing this like little stuff that could have been on any show kind of stuff you know what i mean like it well, wasn't like more to like to what you were saying like it's not just that it's not just that they were in los angeles a place where we could just go or where i live it was that they weren't doing stuff that was like star trekky stuff like this could have been the plot of a lot of other shows and fit just as well yeah see that was that I was mean, a problem for me that all right Defend it. The, Defend it, Sarah. Do do your work. Sarah, the, every, time the you, every time you say something, it makes me like the show more. So I'm hoping you keep going with that. <laughs> I mean, the thing about Adam Stone being willing to run over this woman or Picard in order to stop this is that it was important that if they were going to kill off the other Renee at the end, they really had to, had to set it up so that we understood that this man was obsessed. This man would stop at nothing. And I do think that it makes it much more believable in the end when you realize the only way this flight's going to go off as planned is if Soong believes that he has succeeded, if he believes that he has killed this character. Um, and so I didn't have a problem with that at all because the whole time this character was really evil. He was really like this very self-interested, you know, egomaniacal character that was just wanted his way or the highway and was willing to do absolutely anything and get away with it because he's shown as being somebody of, you know, great wealth. So it worked for me. I, I don't it, know. It did. His character was, was well sold that he would do anything to ensure his legacy and obviously was a sociopath <laughs> and about the children or whatever. Like that was, that was well done. I guess I'm just saying like, if you say, Hey, there's this show I watched and one character was trying to stop another character from doing something. So he ran him over with a car. Oh, this is Star Trek I'm talking about. You know, like that, that <laughs> you know, that could I mean, be literally any is, show on TV. It doesn't have to be Star Trek. So that's, that's what, Trek, what's untrue. Well, yeah, because it's set in the 20th, 21st yeah, century. No, I mean, that's, that's, but like, how are you going to kill somebody in the 21st century in a way that you can, you know, <laughs> say, oh, it was an accident? I mean, well, apparently it's you, can readily use, available. Uh, you can use a neurotoxin that even kills Romulans very easily, but only on, in later <laughs> in the season, apparently. Um, I will say that 
one of the things in going back and watching season one that I really appreciated was I really liked that it took place in the Star Trek world outside of Starfleet. Um, that was a thing that I really liked about it, but I think, and I think Star Trek needs, needs a show that doesn't take place in Starfleet. Like we got a little bit of that with deep space nine, but a lot of the characters were Starfleet. And yeah, I, I would, I've been beating that horn as long as, <laughs> as long as new Star Trek's been around. I'd love a, a show. Like my idea would be to have a show about investigative journalists working on like their own like starship chasing down stories I think would be awesome. Like outside of Starfleet and, and like Jake Sisko's right there. Jake Sisko's right there, you know? And so there's a way to do that. But the, the whole thing about season one that was so great about that is it still felt like Star Trek, but it was outside of Starfleet. And my problem here is it just, there was just large stretches where it just didn't feel like Star Trek. And I hate saying that because I cannot stand when the man babies say that about discovery or whatever, um, because I think they're wrong. But in this case, I, I, I kind of understood or, or felt that just because different. They, when, when they say that they mean, because there aren't enough white men doing stuff. Right. Okay. You right. Say, you're saying yeah, it's the, not enough space. Well, there's, not enough, there's not enough space. Yeah. I think, right? yeah, I think you're allowed to say that yeah. you, you want to see more things set in space. I don't care. I don't give a shit whether my Star Trek is set on Earth or on a, on, on a wave planet or a ship. I know I'm going to get plenty of time on a ship with the other shows, so I don't give a fuck. But I can, you know, just frame it that way. Say, I want more space, yeah. you know, so that you don't sound like those fucking incels. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I know. I, I just... I. <laughs> Because <sighs> I got no problem. I mean, I'm I, I'm representing Discovery right now. I mean, I like Discovery, and I, in fact, um, you know, the, the longer this season went on, the more respect I gained for season four of Discovery for like doing what it did. And and, and uh, I don't know, but I mean, there were things I liked. And first of all, and I gotta say, uh, um, Ola Brady, who played um, Laris and Talon, um. Uh, like she was one of my favorite things about Picard season one. My biggest complaint of Picard season one is you're going off to do this mission. You take the Tal Shiar spy with you, um, right. you know, and also because like, if I have a Star Trek crush, it's Laris for sure, because she is awesome on She's every 61. level. I want to know what skin cream she uses. Girlfriend is 61. What the fuck? She's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just sad because 61 used to sound super old, and now I'm like, "What's not that old?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm like she's um, 11 years older than me. Whatever. 18 years away from me. <laughs> right. So I, I turned 50 last month or two months ago, and now everything I see everything differently now. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like Laris is a fantastic character so I was excited to have even if it was in a weird another character thing um, I think it would have made more sense if it had all been Q like playing with his with his mind but whatever um, the whole uh, I and think I they did address that though I think that was a nice touch even if it's just a way to uh, you know shut up people who are going to complain about potholes the fact that Q was not really omnipotent or as omnipotent as he usually is because he's dying, I think that 
helps explain some of those holes a little bit because he, he can't just do anything for this. It costs him. That's true. And um, I will say that just nerding out on performance, um, I went back and watched a little bit of the finale. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched a couple of the last scenes. And um, Ola Brady's performance in that last scene with Picard, like there's a moment where she, where he basically says, like he basically tells her, like I think I want a second chance or something. And her face, the way she reacted, was just amazing. Like her performance in that scene was was really great. And I don't know how anybody cannot fall in love with that character on the show if they're if they get into the characters at all she has always been great i think one of the reasons why she was so fantastic in the first season is she just like takes charge and starts like gunning people down and like getting information and everything without being asked like she's such a great character and on top of that she just really cares about our boy jean-luc so we like that right so she was great and um, I really hope she's in season three. If they screw that up, they might because they might be more concerned about Beverly. We do know that Gates McFadden accidentally let the cat out of the bag that she did ADR on six episodes. So we know that she's in at least six episodes. Um, and uh, well, and they had the announcement where they came out and they said, you know, basically everybody most everybody is coming back. And at the time people were like, where's Will Wheaton? So now, now that answers, you know, that question. We'll get to that in a bit. Now let's talk about some of the voyage home stuff. We talked about it a little bit. Kurt, uh, Kirk, uh, Thatcher coming back to play the punk on the bus. Uh, his new, st- new version of the song. That was nice. You know? Yeah. He recorded a new version I, of the song. Hate yeah. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, that whole scene was great. It was stupid, but I loved it. And I loved every second of it. I saw um, so many memes about it that I now forget what was actually said in the real version. Um, yeah. but it was, yeah, that was entertaining. I didn't see memes about it actually. Like, um, I, I saw, the, an interview he did afterwards about how excited he was to come back and then they let him re-record the song and, and all that. And, nice. And, yeah, no, I think there was a lot of like, uh, you know, enterprise theme lyrics thrown in there and stuff. And, oh, yeah. okay. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. The you gotta enter- be on Star Trek shit posting. It's yeah. where all the magic happens. Yeah. Well, yeah, I did miss that. Okay. But that, that whole cameo was great. The Rios line, the I only work in outer space, that was that was good. Um, look, uh, I know we're all uh, fans of the one with the whales, so, like, I think we all appreciated that. Like, um, Yep. And I'm waiting for Paramount to officially release a Blu-ray with the title, The One with the Whales, uh, <laughs> because... <laughs> I mean, I think they should spend their effort making their stupid paramount plus thing work better because i have so many problems go. every time i try to watch anything on so annoying. well that too but yeah. you know <laughs> uh so all the tributes to that i i thought that was good um bringing it back to our time i was a little bummed that they were in the same year that cisco and julian brashear came back and they didn't do more with the sanctuary stuff because it was timely and was fitting um it was it would have been a little less on the nose than the Rios 
ice stuff, um, which was I great. Was, I loved the ice stuff. I thought that was great. Like, no, it was good. But... People were pissed. Oh, like, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. Surprised. I'm on Twitter, and I'm shocked at how many conservative Star Trek fans are still watching this show. <laughs> like, you've been the butt of all of our jokes for 50 <laughs> years. Why are you still subjecting yourself to this and expecting it to be different? That's the definition of crazy is doing the same thing every time and expecting yeah. this time will be different. Right. And they're, they were so mad about the ice thing. And I'm like... But also, it was such a realistic depiction. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. what, yeah. like what are you happen? complaining about? That's exactly what's <laughs> happening. You know, like... Well, it was funny how many people thought that that thought that the watcher was going to be Cisco, and I was like, Avery Brooks is not coming out of retirement. Uh, but uh, but I did like I do think that 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 episode of Deep Space Nine where they came back to twenty twenty four could have played a little bit more of a role. But I think the modern Star Trek writers are a little afraid to touch Deep Space Nine because of how intense the mythology and the uh, the storylines are in Deep Space Nine. It's easier to do Easter eggs for TOS and, um, you know, because Deep Space Nine, like, once you get into it, the storylines with the Dominion War and all that, you know. Although Discovery last year did have a, a, a changeling in it, which was... Which was cool um but they did make reference there were um the candidate who was running the guy the guy who was the industrialist with dax in that episode of deep space nine who was like there was a campaign poster for him on the wall so they did have easter eggs for that deep space nine episode that were really deep cut yeah so well, the bell riots were in san francisco right like they were as right. i'm recalling so Which is probably why the punk rock guy left. Yeah, that's probably why the punk rock guy left San Francisco, <laughs> came to LA. He's like, they're riding up there. And, well, you know. it's, it's easy to imagine that the writers mentioned it and they said, well, we can't really fit a San Francisco scene into the LA scene. We got to pick. It's either San, they go to San Francisco or they go to LA. If they had gone to San Francisco, we would have all, you know, enjoyed that additional nostalgia stuff given how. San Francisco centric uh, Star Trek has always been with, you know, that's where Starfleet headquarters is and that's where they went back and so on. So well, well they I'm went sure back to LA to keep know. Patrick Stewart happy. I, I really yeah. think they did. I was, I was wondering enough. if that was a pandemic decision or some just logistical decision. Cause yeah. usually they go to San Francisco. It feels, you know? Yeah. 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 I think it was, it was to make things e well, and they're filming the show in Los Angeles. So it just made it easier. Yeah. Right. And, um, you know, I think all along that that's part of the decision. And um, well, there's you also, you know, like there's like if, if they had dealt with the Bell Riots timeline or storyline specifically, then I think it would have worked. But because it's like L.A. really is sort of uh, where you want to tell the immigration story they were going to tell, because in San Francisco, it's tech bros right, just everywhere. Right. Right. And technically they wanted to have a rocket launch nearby and stuff. So LA is a better choice than, than San Francisco. Now, uh, the Borg Queen aspects of, of it all, like the, the hijacking the, the Borg Queen from the... So, um, well, well, one other thing about the, 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 future, the totalitarian future, I did like all that stuff. Um, I'm not a huge Mirror episode, Mirror Universe guy. It's not one of my favorite Star Trek storylines. So... But I did like 
I did like some certain things. It was weird that Seven was the president, whatever. Um, Soji's dad playing her Seven's husband in the future was weird. Was weird and cool. He's a good actor, so that was fine. That go now once they like steal the Borg Queen, we have this whole this ongoing storyline with the Borg Queen. I wasn't entirely on board with her performance at first because I love both the actors who played the Borg Queen before, but it grew on me. And I felt bad for the actress that she was like basically chained up for the whole season, uh, <laughs> you know, for, for her time. But I do think she sunk her teeth into the role and it was good. And I did like the storyline between her and Girardi eventually. And, um, you know, so I, I could work with that one. But again, like, I don't know how it fits into the greater piece, but on its own as a storyline, I, I kind of dug it. And, um, and, uh, her kind of turning into the Terminator towards the end was, eh, but I, I liked the interplay with the two actors just on a, on a minute to minute basis. Right. So yeah, without the singing, it was fine. Like I liked without the, the singing. Yeah. The only part of the thing that I didn't really care for, but I liked, uh, I liked the relationship. I liked the back and forth between the two of them. I liked, uh, yeah, I could have seen more of that for sure. And I did hate the that singing. Has a long history of people bursting out into song. A long, <laughs> but how adorable, did the spotlight know to turn on her on the balcony? I'm with Issa. Because the Borg Queen made that happen. That no, come on. That, that, look, that's on Jonathan Frank, who I generally and think is a great director. But that scene made no sense. Okay. Why did the band know how to play the song? Why did the well, okay. spotlight the band, get there? The band is professional musicians. They could have picked it up on the thing. But it was just like, you know, it's like, what key are we playing this in? We're just going with her singing. That's you fine. have no idea if she didn't whisper to the band beforehand, <laughs> this is what's going to happen. She has the board queen's hijacked uh, confidence to make that happen. Like, we don't, we don't, it's like people who complain that we never see Starfleet taking a piss. Anyone on and I'm like, why do you need to see that? You just know it happens. Like if you can seriously, if you can imagine something happening off screen and then ask yourself, now if you're the director, do you need to see that? Do you need but, to see Agnes it's still, it's whispering on a, on a side to the note. guy who does the band? On a side note, one of my favorite things about Edward James almost is that there's a famous story about how for years on Battlestar Galactica, he was trying to get a bathroom scene. Like he wanted to show somebody taking a piss on that show so bad. And in the last season, he directed an episode and you see uh, uh, Adana like on the toilet and like he fought to the nail for three years. Sometimes there's a hill you got to die on, you know? <laughs> yeah, he wanted that toilet seat so bad. I love that he fought for it. And but he so had to direct the episode like, to make it the, happen. The scene, that, the scene that jumps into mind when, when I saw the song thing was like, uh, you know, Back to the Future, Michael J. Fox gives goes to the musician, says, all right, guys, 12-bar blues, watch me for the changes, try to keep up. You know, like that was like... A silly movie that was funny. The idea that in the off-screen, Gerardi went to the musicians and was like, "Hey, I know we're at this fancy party and you've never met me before, but check it out. We're going to do this new thing. We're going to do Pat Benatar." And like... <laughs> exactly. So yeah, that that just to me, it was like one of those moments, much like Baltar being Picard's dad, where it just like took me out of the show. 
you know, like I yeah, was thinking about like now I'm yeah. watching. You've yeah. convinced me on a lot of things, Sarah, but you are not going to convince me on the song. The song was bullshit. I will, I will create a thread for you of all the times when a character bursts out into song because to me, I was like, oh my god, this is such a Star Trek nerd thing. I love this. And why? Why that song? Like, I love the song. I actually like the version of the song and the performance of the song. It just seemed like it didn't make any sense. Uh, I could tell you that I heard. I read that that they originally wrote it as Nina Simone, a Nina Simone song, was okay. in the script, and Alison Pill thought that that might not come off well as a, a white lady singing. Right. It. Okay. Yep. And I would love to know which Nina Simone song it was because I'm a huge Nina Simone fan. Yeah, so she apparently, um, she chose the song. Um, she had a she was having a meeting with the producers and with Jonathan Franks, and and they when they were setting up the episode. So, Allison I mean, I knew felt, she was I knew she was a good drummer from her previous work, but I didn't know she uh, could sing. I mean, the other thing that I really liked about that scene is that you know if you've ever you know. Like if you have introverted friends or you're, I'm very introverted myself. There are. I find that hard to believe. I know we barely know. Have, each other. We do not. See <laughs> I totally am in, in real life, but in person. But like what I loved about that scene is that you have this character who's already brilliant. You know, she's got all of these, all of these talents and skills. And, you know, she's a brilliant mind. She's also a very troubled mind. She's been through a lot. You know, she's obviously still haunted by the things that happened in season one. And, you know, it's kind of like the this moment of the Borg Queen giving her this sort of like the trope of the teenage girl, the teenage nerd who gets a makeover and all of a sudden she's full of confidence and she looks beautiful. Where you see a side of Jurati that she could never have brought out herself. And this is important for the realism of what happened in the end, because you have to make it really appealing to explain why Gerardi would allow this to happen to her, why it would, you know, she would allow, why it would be, it would be tempting for her. And all of the explanations that they had this season about how exactly a person gets assimilated was really interesting. And I think they were trying to, to make some commentary there about why people get into cults, why, you know, rich, why poor people become Trumpers Things like that, where it's it's much more psychological than the Borg has has ever been. But and they so, all of that so really I'm laughing because Sarah, if we were a writers' room, and you had pitched this idea, this would be the the point where I cave in and say, "Fine, <laughs> it's your episode, and I'll live with it." <laughs> because no, I, even I, though I'd still be arguing, because I thought that I thought everything you said was great and true, and I thought they did a great job with all of those things and I would have loved to have them explore that more but the song still didn't work (laughs) (laughs) the filming of it just it took me out of it because in the end they could have made it less cinematic and I would have found it more believable but the thing is they made it so cinematic that like I then see the director I see the filming I see the choices and it takes me out of the story. That's just something that some people can live with. It, it, like if I was directing the episode, I wouldn't direct it that way. And usually I think Jonathan Franks is a great director. And I usually agree with most of his choices. But in that particular instance, I think doing the song is great. But you have to make it somewhat more awkward. 
Like, it shouldn't sound as good. It should. It would actually be funnier and better if it was a little awkward. You know, if it was a little awkward in the room, you know? But that wasn't the story they were believable. trying to tell. They were trying to tell that this woman, with full confidence, could be an absolute badass. And I understand what you're the saying. The queen is in full control of this whole experience. I understand so. what you're saying. I just disagree. I just, this, and me, like, if I was directing it, I would make a different choice. But I'm just saying that would have been a completely different outcome to the story. So I would have even been fine with her getting up on stage, uh, you know, signaling the band, taking the mic and saying, we have a special treat for you right now. Thanks everyone for coming out. And then she starts singing. I just didn't like that she comes down the stairs and a random spotlight shows up on her. Like suddenly we're in a musical. Like that, how did that happen? Like that didn't But make you're sense. asking for exposition. And any time that you're asking for exposition, you have to ask yourself, do these details actually matter enough to the plot that they're worth it worth well, having to outright tell the audience what's happening? I think they, that would done the story. But I think that for me, it does matter because I want to believe this world consistently. Like I believe in Star Trek because I believe that because for years I've believed in the consistency. I know that there's still Spock's brain and there's episode that, you know, there's things like that. But for the most part, I, I just want a consistency where the world is all like, if I'm in a David Lynch movie, I expect stuff to get wacky and weird and surreal, but I'm in Star Trek. So I agree with Issa. I understand what you're saying, Sarah. I just disagree. But here's the thing. I'm fine with not liking every moment of something. Like I can get past that. Like, that's fine. There was plenty of discovery. Like I didn't like the pacing of how they unveiled the book Burnham storyline, but I still enjoyed this, the series overall. I would have done it differently, but that's okay. I, you know, and that's I fine. Hate, I hate unnecessary exposition. I hate no, it. No, I do too. Like, and I, I wasn't suggesting that she should have said a lot of stuff. You show, not tell, right? Like she yeah. should have, they should have, shown how it was possible that this whole cinematic production was put together like they could have just scaled it down it wouldn't have taken away from the singing or anything just don't have her come on the balcony and have a spotlight hitter that's clearly been pre-planned you know I think they just didn't imagine that anyone would actually take this seriously as a plot hole because there are so many ways that you can explain it with you know uh, there as, aren't really that many ways you can explain it except she went off screen somehow convinced no it just it absolutely broke me that that morning yeah. when i watched it i just it it broke me from the like story. why is there even a spotlight set up to be able to hit that spot of, on the stairs right like like there's because a stage the board queen the arranged it that's that was her whole deal she uh, understands uh, this I world can't. all right listen I mean, we could argue about the stuff guys we could argue about the singing scene forever, but uh, <laughs> uh, okay. So uh, I one more thing on the singing scene. I just want to say that I love Alison Pill. I loved her singing and I actually really liked the version of the song too. I, so that's separate from me feeling it was out of place, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And I thought Alison Pill was great in the season. Um, and as far as a conclusion for Gerardi's storyline, I think it's a really interesting decision to make. And it's interesting to have a character basically make the decision like she probably could have found a way to escape the Borg and overpower her. But she, like you said, Sarah, she made a choice to do that. And that's an I interesting. Mean, I think it's a cool choice, too. Like, I really like that. Like, I think a lot of people would make that choice. Yeah. And it's the opposite of Seven, who's completely tortured by her time in the Borg. And I think it sets up an interesting thing where 
if they do give Seven her own show, her and Jurati could have an interesting dynamic because Seven did everything she could to undo the Borg from her life, and Jurati makes that choice, and that's a that could be an interesting complication in the future, and maybe hopefully if we get a Fenris Ranger or a Captain Seven show something, uh, we see Allison Pill again, um, and I and I th- thought she was. Oh, sorry, but let's not underestimate how big a deal it is that now in the present, you know, the present future of Star Trek, we have a Borg that are a voluntary collective and a force for good. And right? are, are seeking temporary or emergency membership in the Federation. Yeah. Like that's, it, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, and that, that could send shockwaves through the Star Trek yeah. storyline for sure. And that, and that, that is a cool storyline and I, I did like that. So I, like, I thought that was really cool. Yeah. And like I said, I think there are four stories, four episodes of worth of really good story around all this. Um, I thought the car chase in LA was a, a little silly. Um, I thought it was cool. Like Look, my childhood crush was Leah Thompson. So the fact that she directed two episodes of Star Trek Picard was super and cool. And had a cameo. And had a cameo. Um, uh, my sister uh, even like knew to when I posted something about Leah Thompson posting Star Trek, she said, your, your head must have exploded because when I was a kid, my childhood crush was absolutely Leah Thompson, even Leah Thompson and Howard the duck. So like as awkward <laughs> as that is. Um, but uh, so Leah Thompson directing two episodes is really cool. Jonathan Frank's doing, um, uh, you know, he didn't direct my two favorite episodes, but I was glad he was back. Um, I did like the Rios storyline with Ice. Let's see if we missed anything else. Okay, uh, the Seven Raffi thing. I was very frustrated that they delayed them kissing until the last episode. That looked like it was going to be very bad. Like, um, as far as, like, you know, not showing their relationship for be for real. What do you guys think about season one? Because I'd completely forgotten that. I didn't. I didn't see that coming or whatever. I'd just forgotten. Um, They just showed them holding hands in the last scene, and the backstory with that is they took a picture together um, uh, at the premiere of Picard season one. The guy who played Hugh actually took the picture, and he posted it. He posted it to Twitter and said isn't this the most beautiful lesbian couple you've ever seen or some joke? He made a joke about that. And then they, they actually turned it into like, it was somewhere around. It wasn't the premiere Picard. It was, it might've been the premiere, but they went back and filmed the scene of them holding hands to add to the end of the season. And then there is apparently a Star Trek novel that involves their relationship that takes place between one and two. Um, and so I think I don't know how I felt about them like basically like teasing the whole thing, the whole thing, and then basically having them kiss at the end. I kind of feel like Discovery has like already like we're you know, Stamets and and um uh Colbert, like they're full on having relationships. We have you know, trans and non-binary characters like can we just not mess around with that let 
anyways, I, I'm glad that they showed their relationship in the end, but I, I felt like the teasing of it was a little weird. Um, well, they, the they were implying that whole time that they had dated and between season one and season two and then broke up. Yeah. And I thought that was great because then you could see them as, you know, the, the two characters who are clearly still have feelings for each other, but they also have become sort of, you know, they have that sort of old married couple fighting that goes on between them and little digs here and there. And so I felt like that was a fairly realistic depiction of what that relationship would be like. Because if everything was just adorable and they were completely in love, then it would be a little bit too much like um, Culver and Stamets and you know, I think that it yeah. it was different, and I appreciated that. Okay, and then I don't know if I'm missing anything, but then I so the wrap up. Okay, well, so we have the we have the the episode that I thought was really silly, where we get the minions created by the board queen, the Navy Seal minions or whatever, yeah, and have the the shootout, uh, ridiculous firefight scene uh at the picard mansion like that was just that felt very extra to me like totally unnecessary yeah um i enjoyed the episode a little bit more than the one the two or three before it so i guess for that it didn't bother me that bad uh but you're right you're right it was kind of you know i did like that picard showed the bullet holes in the wall and said i never knew why those were there you know now it now it makes sense. That was kind of that was kind of yeah. Cool. Just any 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 when any show or movie comes to the point where you just need like nameless minions, the scene is usually not very good. Like that's that's usually like a recipe for disaster. Don't tell Chuck well, Norris that he has a whole although, career of nameless minions. That he's I mean, about. the entire Borg race is about nameless minions. Like the entire species of Borg is about turning individuals into minions so you could argue that they're just doing what Borg do and sure, showing what could, that would look like in the that. 21st century but then what i don't the other thing this is always this is a total tangent but this is what always has bugged me about uh star trek and and their phasers and stuff so what you had was they had like at least one phaser rifle and a couple hand phasers or whatever against like some 21st century soldiers with guns with laser sights, right? Like has gun technology not improved to the point that that should be a very one-sided fight, you know, but somehow there's no like smart aiming and like computer guided shot shooting or whatever, you know what I mean? So that's always bugged me, but it's like, it's like if you took someone you know, if you gave someone a modern assault rifle from, you know, 20, the 21st century and fought a bunch of soldiers from the 1800s or whatever, you would win, right? Yeah. And like, I, I've, so I've always, that's always kind of bugged me. Like, there's no concept of like smart military weapons in Star Trek. Yeah. Well, Sorry. okay. So, not a big deal. <laughs> so we get to the finale, and I will say that the, um, the launching of the Europa mission. And that whole part um, really didn't do much for me. I was just kind of like, whatever. The We had the Rio 7, um, three minutes MacGruber moments that... Um, that drone thing was, was definitely standing out as ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> there was a lot of MacGruber moments in this season altogether. But um, uh, yeah, so there, there was that going on. But then at the end, I think... 
you know what's funny is a film critic that I I follow that I really like Jacob Hall who does the trekking through time and space. He has a podcast where he's teaching Star Trek to a Doctor Who fan, and a Doctor Who fan is teaching him Doctor Who. It's a great podcast called Trekking Through Time and Space, and um, Jacob Hall is the Star Trek fan teaching Doctor Who, and and his he's a film reporter, so he gets all the Star Trek episodes like ahead of time <laughs> and is able to watch them. And his review of the Picard finale was hilarious. He said, um, it's amazing how narratively baffling I, I found an episode that pushed every emotional button that I had at the same time. So he was talking about how like the narrative was a total mess to him, but it didn't yeah. matter because he felt all the emotions of it. That's it is yeah. yeah, and that last half an hour was I, I, I had all the feels. Um Picard's even saying goodbye to Talon, like I you know partially because I just like Ola Brady a lot. Um I felt that um but the scene with Q and and Q saying that, you know, God's had their favorites and the hug and, and Q dying like that all worked for me because and what's funny is because of and a lot of that has to do with trekking through time and space because they're rewatching they're teaching HT next generation right now. And so I'm listening to that podcast where they're breaking down all the early Q episodes like right now. So I'm kind of getting reacquainted through that podcast with those early Q episodes. And I think that added to how I felt about it. I mean, I've always cared about Q and it's funny that Q said the same last goodbye to Picard as he did in next generation that I'll see you out there. Right. And that was super great. And all the behind the scenes footage of John Delan of, you know, Patrick Stewart hugging John Delancey off camera. It's all great. It's all great. Love it. Love. It's all great. So the finale, it's so funny because it worked for me completely, even though I didn't like the season in the middle. And I will overall say that if you ask me to rate on a, on a scale of 1 to 10 how I felt about Picard Season 2, I can't give it more than a 5. However, that last episode and the emotions that I felt were like a 10 episode, right? And I don't know how to, how to deal with that as far as like – you know, I don't know how to, I, I usually like most Star Trek. I'm usually very positive. So I have weird feelings on that. So now I've gotten to the end. Sarah, how did you feel about the finale? I loved it. I totally cried. Um, and I loved the idea that, you know, of really wrapping up the whole thing with Q so that it's this long story beginning at Encounter at Farpoint. I just, I love that. Uh, you know, I have a very clear memory of watching the pilot and TNG came out when I was eight years old. And so for me to be a 43 year old woman watching this story that started when I was eight be resolved in this way and confirming to yep. the audience that, that we've always suspected that Q loved Picard on some level, that he, you know, thought he was special. Um, we've always had that idea. And so, and the whole season was about why why was Picard special? And there was, you know, the really beautiful uh, verbiage between him and I think Talon when, you know, she's like, you took this one hurt 
and you saved billions with it. You know, that he became somebody who saved everybody who could for the rest of his life because he couldn't save his mom. And I'm just like over here, you know, like just totally blubbering. Not just in this adventure, but all of his adventures, all the lives he saved all throughout everything. Yeah. And I think there are, there is room in Star Trek for different storytelling styles. And I think that it's clear. And this is why I started out by saying you, this show makes perfect sense. If you look at it from the, the point of view of what is important to Patrick Stewart and what was important to him is telling the stories of how these relationships ended up and, you know, why he is the way that he is and all of that stuff. And I, you know, I don't really think that he gives a shit about whether or not the details make sense to every nitpicking Star Trek nerd. Um, and I think that we will have Star Treks where it's helmed by people who do care about that stuff. I can totally see, you know, once things start to filter down a little bit, like the fact that we have, I don't know, I've lost count, five Star Trek shows in production, you know, in active production right now in history is extraordinary to me. Absolutely amazing to me. But I could see at some point they might decide to make a Star Trek that's more like The Expanse. They might, you know, do a sort of a Star yeah, Trek they show. They should hire set. me. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, and all of that stuff, where all that stuff matters and people people are, are you know, actively looking at that. So I just, I just think it's, you know, it is what it is and it's an intimate show and it's about feelings and it's about relationships and that is the show that an 81 year old man who knows that he doesn't have much longer, hopefully he lives to be like 115. But just in case that doesn't happen, he's wrapping shit up. It's the same reason why Patrick Stewart is working on his memoir right now, you know? And I think it's the most wonderful gift to Star Trek fans to be told the story of not just what happened to this character based on some writer, but what happened to this character based on or written by the people who love him most and and the, the 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 actor who's so attached to this character. You know what was one of the best moments of this entire season that's super underrated is when he first brings Talon back to the La Serena and he they're they're dragging the body of the French cop through the ship. <laughs> that. And then he's like I love that He's like, I'm sure there's a really great explanation for that. That was so funny. That was one of the best moments of the entire season. And Patrick Stewart played that so wonderfully. And yes, and and I said the season one, and I absolutely, totally, 100% mean it. I love that they allowed him to be 81 years old. That they allowed him to be an old character, you know, that he's not... You know, and that's why he had this other crew, you know, and it is said that, that, you know, we're not going to, you know, we're still going to have Raffi and seven. And I believe we're going to have, you know, but they're paring down the crew for season three to bring. And yes, I, I'm excited to see Worf and Jordy and, and all those characters come back. But at the same time, like, you know, I do like the characters that they created for this show. So, and I hope that Eleanor's not coming back either. We are losing Elnor. Yeah, which is too bad. We didn't get much of him in this season either. No. Yeah, the, the, the holographic uh, ship defense system was cute. I enjoyed that. That was funny. Yeah, yeah, that, that, was, uh, that was a good moment. I liked Raffi, like, having, even though that hologram didn't, didn't care, that she, like, had to express herself in that way. I thought it was a cool moment. 
like a lot of people didn't like that, but uh, I did. Um, Isa, feelings on the finale? So I, I, I liked it. Honestly, like I liked that episode. I liked the whole season more after hearing Sarah's take on everything. Like it's definitely like, I probably wouldn't watch it again, but now I'll go away with like a slightly better feeling about it or whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> me. But, uh, I agree. I so agree. I, the way that I sort of have thought about it, like I said at the beginning, I could watch these characters do anything and I would enjoy watching it. Um, a Fish Called Wanda, one of my favorite movies ever. There was a big discussion over whether they should do a sequel or not. And and everyone was kind of like, uh, you know, do, we can't do a sequel. It was perfect. Let's not mess with it. But all the people got together and did a new movie with uh, where they all played different characters and it was a completely new movie. And now I've completely forgotten the name of the movie um, because it's they like opened a zoo or something, but there's another movie called We're Opening a Zoo and it's not that. So whatever. I, I don't so, remember the name of the second one either. But yeah. yeah, but it was like, it was cool. It was like, you liked seeing all the same characters. You, it worked well. It wasn't as good as Fish Called Wanda, but it was like, that's sort of how I feel about Picard. Like it was... I don't care what these characters are doing. I just want to see them do stuff. Like, it's cool. Like, so um, I'll definitely, I'm a little, like, just go big, stepping back for a second. All these franchises, like, all of which have been, like, some of my favorite franchises throughout my life. This would be, you know, Star Trek, Star Wars, Marvel, and DC. They've all got their own little universes now, and they all put out, like, tons of content. And honestly, no one has really figured out how to do it really well yet. Um, and I think we'll see, we'll see what, where, what, you know, different levels, but I think like this whole concept of like, you have to watch every single thing and you have to love every single thing isn't going to be the answer because not everything's going to be right for everybody. And so I think with someone like Picard, I have to be willing to say it wasn't exactly what I wanted, but I enjoyed it fine. And maybe I'll never watch it again, but I'll keep watching the the universe and it'll i'll know what happened in that episode enough in that season well, and that's how i feel about lower decks like i'm not a big fan of lower decks but i i'm so, i'm happy for the people who love it um and i'll watch it once and i'll laugh at the Magat the magutu magatu episode you know yeah. and i and i'll have fun with it but i'm stoked for the people who do love it and yeah, um, i mean i guess i'm just saying there's there's just so much content now in in star trek and in all these universes that like you don't have to like everything or you don't have to love everything you know and so yeah. it's it's important to keep that in mind like it's you know it's one thing when there's just like you know 10 movies and you can like the even number ones or whatever you know what i mean but it's like now there's like hundreds and hundreds of hours of star trek and you don't have to love all of it which is fine yeah I and, still I mean, hate Star Trek Five. <laughs> totally. <laughs> well, you know, and you know, we've only gotten one episode, but I mean, Strange New Worlds is like so for Wait, me. Don't spoil me. Like, I haven't, I haven't watched it yet. So. Oh my god, it's so good. Okay. Uh, yes, and uh, <laughs> uh, I do like the meme of the that's been going around where uh, it says, uh, "I where it's like the it's." mocking the the shitty fans saying like finally we're getting new old school non-woke star trek and then it's strange new world saying hold my sorry and brandy right. uh, <laughs> because uh they're going to be a little upset if they think they're getting the non-woke star trek when they watch strange new worlds but i will say this and i gotta give credit to i said you know there's a lot of pandemic compromises that i felt like were going on in card season two 
you got to give credit. Alex Kurtzman and Jenny Lumet, who are doing, um, you know, co-wrote Strange New Worlds first episode with Akiva Goldsman. Akiva Goldsman, Alex Kurtzman doing Star Trek Picard season two, Strange New Worlds at the same time, and Alex Kurtzman and Jenny Lumet making The Man Who Fell to Earth for Showtime at the same time is completely insane because and man uh, man who fell to earth is like my favorite new non-star trek show right now like i'm loving it it's so good and so i just gotta give props to alex kurtzman for all the stuff he's doing and i i personally think it's great that he is making such a variety of star trek that you have prodigy lower decks strange new worlds discovery picard it's all different it all has different feelings to it and it's just it's glorious to have this much star trek and you don't have to yeah. and you're right Issa, you don't have to like it all yeah i was so worried when i heard that you know because discovery was doing well they're rolling out all of these additional shows and my, my biggest concern was that we were going to have another rick berman on our hands where you know everything rick berman touches kind of has that same feel and uh you know a lot of people want desperately men especially the toxic men want to go back to the rick berman style and i'm like oh you want a copy of a copy you want Dolly the sheep, um, and I love the fact that you know not only it just totally blew my expectations out of the water in terms of because that was my one fear that they'd all be the same, and instead they are all just so wonderfully different from each other, and you know I just I absolutely love that. That makes me so happy because there really is the core of Star Trek. There's so much room in there in that universe to tell so many different stories. And Star Trek The Motion Picture is playing in theaters and the director's cut this month. At the yep. end of the month. I have my ticket. I'm I, will going go, to. I will go see that for sure. I, I haven't watched that in a long time. This is a good excuse to see it. So. Yeah. Uh, another imperfect awesomeness. Um, uh, the Motion Picture has grown on me. I'm a big defender of it. So uh, on that note, uh, you know, Folks, we're, uh, we'll be back for Strange New Worlds in about nine weeks. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it's, you know, super exciting that we have that to go. Pike is beco- quickly becoming my favorite captain. I never thought anyone would beat Cisco in my heart. But uh, I just love what a smartass Pike is, too. Um, it was great. So I we'll- just love shouting at the screen. How is he this handsome? I don't understand. It's like his hair is just like formed in heaven by angels. And I'm just like, like my, I'm sitting there watching with my partner and I'm just like, he's so handsome, I'm going to die. Yes. Yeah, uh, he is a very different watching experience, but you know, I can, you know <laughs> Oh, I can see I've heard that there are plenty of men who watch that and go, oh man. How do I? How do I look? How do like I that? do that? Like, how do I look like that? Yeah. So yeah. I only started the first episode, and he just had like the crazy Chris Pine beard, and uh, it, I, he just shaved when I turned it off. So yeah. he's just getting on the he's just getting on the ship. So I'll, 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 I'll get I'll get back to you on how handsome he is. <laughs> All right, Star Trek nerds. Uh, oh, we didn't. What one last thing we didn't talk about? Will Wheaton being back. We have to talk about that real quick. Um, I. I have ups and downs about Will Wheaton being back. Uh, I am pro the traveler Will Wheaton. I think it's setting up season three. I think he's going to have a huge, that's how um, Issa Behrens is going to be in season three as a traveler. I think 
Wesley's going to be in danger, and I think getting the crew back together is something to do with saving the what, Traveler Wesley, I think. I think mm. that's part of it. Um, that's my theory, um, why we saw him just briefly. Um, my only feeling is that I wish he didn't dress like Will Wheaton in the scene. Um, I wish, I think it would have been funny and cool if the traveler shows up in funny traveler garb, like Spock wearing the robes in Star Trek four. And he was looked really out of place. And he was like, and so when she first saw him, she was like, who is this weird hippie who's coming up and talking to me? I think that would have been slightly better if they had done that. Because part of the problem is that Will Wheaton's so obviously stoked in the scene to be in the scene that he could barely contain himself. And because he just looked like Will Wheaton, it just, it, I couldn't divorce Will Wheaton from that moment in my head. And I think if he was dressed like the Traveler and not like Will Wheaton, um, I would have bought it a little bit more and it would have been better. And it would have been great to just have this weird hippie guy in like this weird Traveler outfit. It would have yeah, made more it goes, sense. It goes to what you were saying before. Like, I feel like I can go out in LA and just run into Will Wheaton looking like that. You know, <laughs> like. <laughs> but yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I totally understand that they probably the in-universe reason would be to the same reason why they all had that scene where they're like, "All right, what what do we have in our closets that looks vaguely 21st century?" You know. Right. But at the same time, I totally agree with that. I think that it would it would it it did feel like it was Will Wheaton talking to her, not the Traveler. But I agree that I think they're gonna. I I don't think they did that just to throw us an Easter egg and then we never hear about him again. It's either going to be that there's right. going to be he's on one of the shows, or there's you know. I mean, shit, with all the new Star Treks out there, maybe they're going to do a Traveler show. I don't know. Well, no, and but... Akiva Goldsman said that on the Ready Room is that the different writers' rooms were fighting over who got to use uh, Wesley Crusher ah. uh, as a Traveler. <laughs> but they were literally fighting over <laughs> because so he cute. could be anywhere. He could be in the 32nd century. He could be, yeah. And um, But my, my theory is, is that how they're going to – pull it all in is that um that's how beverly's going to show up on on chateau picard's doorstep and be like you have to help wesley we have to help him and adventure ensues um but uh i could be wrong but uh you know that that's when, just... when do we when do we get season three well it's already wrapped there and gates mcfabbin gave up the ghost that they're doing adr already so um probably next year but um and uh it's different showrunners um it's uh a different writing team as season two that most of the team on season two went to strange new worlds okay. right after writing season two and season three um and uh uh yeah so we'll be, we'll be getting it soon. They filmed it back to back, but they divided the writing. That's why there's a different team. And, uh, <laughs> and all along, the, the crew for season two said it was a standalone story and that each season of Picard can stand on its own. So yeah. so we'll see. But this is obviously the ending, and it's going to bring everybody back in. And we have seen the one scene of uh, Riker and Picard standing side by side and that's it that's all we've seen so but it has wrapped filming 
And we know Jerry Ryan's in the whole season because she was the first one to post a thing on Twitter saying it's a wrap. So I doubt she would have done that if she wasn't on the set the last day. So, but I already know I'll love it. Even if, even if it's not good, I'm going to love it. <laughs> right. Me too. Uh, all right. Uh, any last words, Sarah, starting with you, how can people find you? What do you want people to know? Anything? Um, Twitter or Facebook. I spend more time on Facebook than I do on Twitter. Spend five minutes a day on Twitter. Is that so? Uh, Isa, any fun projects? I'm doing nothing. I got, I got nothing. I, I've, uh, <laughs> I didn't have any blurb prepared to, to try to pitch anyone on anything. So I, I got nothing, but uh, I'm just sitting at home watching all the different Star Treks. It's great. Yeah. Well, now that I know about the Star Trek archive at UCLA, yeah, we're, so we'll we're, we're going to have to have another hangout uh, when I go oh. up and dig through the archives. You guys have no idea that when I started going through that archive, it has um, so many of the correspondence and things. And one of the funny things is, is that on each episode, like they'll have DeForest Kelly research, Leonard Nimoy research, and they have pages of notes that the actors write to Gene Roddenberry asking questions. And that would be so much fun to search through. Oh, my God. Well, Sarah, you play a trip to LA. Yeah. I can come anytime. I am an independent free agent with, you know, more disposable income than we probably should, is healthy to have. So I can come <laughs> anywhere, anytime. Well, see, the I thing is, is that. that when I do it, I need to take insane amounts of pictures of de- of research materials to look at later so like i'm looking for people to go with me so i might have to hook, hook, i, I am not to- that is not my cup of tea but i was not your cup of tea but you could go have lunch have dinner with exactly. us afterwards yeah. Oh, yeah and i have been meaning to visit my friend in la so there you go yeah we may, we should talk um yeah that no the star trek archives if you look at it it's it's insane they have all the unproduced episodes and just for what I saw of Fullerton, uh, when I looked at the Doom, because Norman Spinrad donated the Doomsday Machine episode notes. Between the first draft and the second draft, there's a 16 pages of notes from uh, Gene Kuhn to Norman Spinrad on things to change, including Spock wouldn't say this, Spock would say that. <laughs> and um, so all every episode has those and the archive and those things and the research notes from the actors um, uh, notes from Lucille ball to the production company on certain episodes, like, and they're, they're all just sitting there uh, ready for somebody to, to dive through them. And the 13 unproduced episodes is what I want to focus on because there's some big name science fiction writers who put in pitches that never got made including Philip Jose Farmer, other Theodore Sturgeon ones. And it's, oh, it's so cool. So, yeah. So folks, uh, I do already have the unproduced Norman Spinrad one. So look out for articles on that. Cause I'm going to be writing one soon. So on that note, uh, fun, uh, Star Trek fun, uh, for people coming in the future, watch strange new worlds and we'll all convene again in nine weeks, uh, for, um, Strange New Worlds. I'm hoping to have some other guests too. They couldn't get here in time. Uh, this this time, I uh, definitely need to get Dano back. Uh, uh, but his band is doing a reunion, and he was super busy this week, so couldn't do it. So, anyways, folks, uh, Picard season two. Um, and thanks, Sarah and Issa, for joining me. Awesome.